Super Team Games. Here's a thrilling series of games that will challenge all your friends. And welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Guys, do you remember the power pad? I vaguely from a very long time ago. <laughs> I remember going to the Museum of the Moving Image to use it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I thought you meant in the context of the podcast. I do, I do. Yeah, to, to play it, I think for something for the podcast. I found it at the Museum of the Moving Image. Oh wow! <laughs> I think just like I happened upon it, I was like, oh, I need to play this for the podcast, and I played it. <laughs> The museum has, uh, for for those of you that are in the New York City area and um, are out of the COVID situation, I guess, in the future, the museum has an amazing video game collection because that's included as part of their, like, moving images. It's not just film and TV. It's true. It's uh, that things usually are animated in video games. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You go in there and you see, like, an NES on, like, a little pedestal behind glass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then some people, like, they point, you know, because they're older people, they point out to, like, their their kids, like, see that NES? Like, that's really rare. That thing's worth, like, thousands of dollars. Like, <laughs> but Did your some dad say that are. to you? <laughs> What's that? Did your dad ever say that to you? No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, that's a thing that older people believe, that anything that is old has a lot of value behind it. Yeah, I think what they're talking about, too, where a lot of times they tell their kids, it's like, you know that newfangled nostalgia podcast you listen to? Well, this is what they're talking about. (laughs) And then they play it, and the kids are just, like, not excited about it, and he goes, like, "Uh, I guess your generation's not ready for it, but your kids, (laughs) they're gonna love it. Right. And that works full circle because that means that an old man made a Back to the Future joke that his kids don't even understand. Right. Wow, oh, that, my God. That's, that's a lot so of layers meta. there. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's what the show is all about. I've been told by several uh, listeners that this show is like an onion. <laughs> like a parfait. Name three. Uh, no, I cannot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I legally am not allowed to. That's why that's I cannot that's name fair. them. That's not fair. because I did not happen, but because I legally <laughs> cannot name them. Anyway, back to the power pad. The reason I bring it up is because I think in our Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt episode, we were talking about even the zapper kind of feeling like a uh, thing that was forgotten. But the power pad has only really had uh, two games, technically three, but one is just the same game rebranded. So Super Team Games comes along now, and it's like, I guess if you owned a power pad, you know, the investment was already there, and... Bandai probably felt like, ah, we gotcha. Like, you own a power pad, might as well buy some more games for it. Yeah, I mean, it's that that install base thing. I feel like maybe people would have, like, a little bit of, like, guilt. Like, wow, why did I waste my money on this power pad? I I only have one game. I feel like they're all pretty dusty in a basement already, though. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, Joe, to your point, the iToy for the PlayStation 2? Yeah, for PlayStation 2. And that had, like, its own game, so it already justified it, but then they made, like, a bunch of, like, franchises, got their own, like, iToy version, and you just kind of bought it, because you were like, I'd like to see what Sonic can do on the iToy. Yeah, I mean, even, yeah, even, like, I don't know if there was a, 
was there a like a dedicated Sonic iToy game, or was there just like a like a playable mode in a Sonic game? It was Sega All Stars. Got gotcha. the game because I had uh, even just like I mean I had a couple of of standalone games for the iToy, but I even had like a Harry Potter game that had like an iToy mode, like of bonus games. Uh, I also loved the iToy, by the way. doesn't get enough love these days. I would definitely play with my iToy again. I would not play with my power pad again. The difference, of course, being that the iToy was somewhat reliable in uh, what you did was represented on the screen. The power pad, because you're, like, stomping on it, the inputs just are not designed to last very long. Yeah. Also, the inputs are just so... I mean, I know it's not, like, fundamentally, it's, it's not, or, like, it... Theoretically, it's not much different than like a dance pad of like DDR, but man, it's just so different. If (laughs) like it's DDR, if DDR was on NES title, then I mean, nobody would have put that thing away, you know? The thing is, I just don't think that the power pad, like, like to Mike's point, just have the input like quality that DDR has. Even, even, (laughs) even when it's brand new, I imagine. Yeah, I I figure as much. But I you mean, know, I Sean, could, you... I'm just imagining like an 8-bit version of dance music, which <laughs> I think would be great. I think you just invented like an amazing new homebrew uh, NES game that uses yeah. the power pad. It's already copyrighted and uh, patented, so nobody try it. Um, I'm already <laughs> I'm working on it right now. And another thing there, Sean, is like that is a that is just a great idea. I'm still blown away that you came up with that, but. You know, not because you're not good at making ideas, but because, like, that actually seems like something... Because it came from me, I understand. It seems like something they should have done. Why do they keep instead focusing on, like, these, you know, you're at camp obstacle course games instead? Well, this is the first, like, at least this is a little bit... This game is a bit more unique in that that camp is the context instead of, like, you're somehow at the Olympics or something along those lines. Like, this is a bit more down-to-earth, I guess, in terms of its setting. <laughs> yeah, like when you get in the giant crab and start walking sideways down the course. I mean, that's what I did when I went to summer <laughs> right. camp. Yeah, I mean, I, admittedly, I've never been to summer camp, so I don't know what they do there. <laughs> yeah, but Athletic World, right? Didn't that one also take place at summer camp? Well, that, that sort of counters what I said earlier, so I'm going to stick by it and say no. Okay. Yeah, but I didn't think so. You're probably right. Yeah, uh, I like how I like how Joe made it into an opinion thing. Like, no, <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't perceive I didn't that so. as summer camp. <laughs> yeah, it, to me, it was that like was they were the saying it was summer camp, but I think that there was a deeper story there. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I think that was the same summer camp where Friday the Thirteenth takes place. <laughs> yeah, so it's like yeah. shared universe. Anyway, uh, how do we feel? How do we feel about these games? You know, these power pad like games. Are, are are you guys? At the point now where we're on game number four and you're like, I hope I never see another one of these? Or are you willing to, you know, maybe hope that Bandai has learned something new and useful about the power pad and that they're going to change the way these games play? Well, let me tell you something. I don't want to see another power pad game unless it's just like uh, Twister. Unless it's Twister, I'm not into it. You see, that's another great... You should be, like, the power pad, like, marketing, know, was, like, you know, like, the head of their their idea department. I'm in the, I'm in the wrong generation, guys. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it, though. There's 12 inputs on that power pad. Like, it's made for Twister. You're doing a great job. Yeah. I know, I know. 
Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I also similarly don't want to see any other power pack. I would like to see a Twister game, but otherwise, this has just further solidified my idea that they don't know, really know how to utilize this thing in a way that's any good. <laughs> and I don't want to see any more because from the best of my knowledge, they're all just made by Bandai because Bandai teamed up with Nintendo to release this power pad. So I, I don't know of any other power pad games that are going to come out that aren't made by Bandai. And it seems like they just have this idea of, because it used to be called the family fun fitness pad. They just have this idea of family fun and fitness that they can't detach themselves from. So every game is just based off of like running in place. And, uh, you know, and the power pad isn't really used for anything other than like, Run in the middle. Okay, now run up top. Now run in the bottom. It's like, all right, that's one way to handle making a video game. But imagine if Mario, the whole thing was you just ran at different speeds. Yeah, honestly, if they were going to go and rebrand this, like, and make it the the power pad and not because, like, what you just said, the family fun fitness, like, fa- fa- facilitator thing, uh, I would imagine that these would be the kinds of games that come out for it. But because they called it the power pad and they, they did this rebranding, you would think that they would go into these like, you know, twister or something like that. I don't know. Um, so they, I think this may have been less of a failure if they just kept the old name, because then this is what we would only expect from this. Yeah. I think that's a good point because, well, I don't know, actually. You know, you have the, the power pad name is definitely not represented here. But I don't think, like, just because something is called the family... Fu- it's almost like giving the, the Wii Fit board a pass because, well, it just plays Wii Fit. And that's that's good enough. Like, I didn't expect anything more from it. Like, you would still hope that it's still good, right? Sure. I, I, I guess, though, if you're, it just seems like a half measure. You call it the power pad and you only release these these faux competitive fitness games, uh, you may as well have done. I mean, it, I guess we're, we're kind of saying the same thing here. No, I totally get what you're saying, though. Nintendo should have, when they changed this to the power pad and released it themselves, they should have released, like, a Super Mario Brothers power pad game, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah, that's, like, something they would do nowadays. Like, if you if they designed, like, a new peripheral, there would be a, you know, maybe not Mario, but some of their IP based around it to get it, you know, to get people on board with it. It seems more like they're just uh, spitefully making Bandai play out the rest of their contract. Yeah, and, and you know, just to talk about the game, too, you have Obstacle Course A, Obstacle Course B, and the Super Obstacle Course. But for the Super Obstacle Course is a combination. It's just everything from Obstacle Course A and B. So why is that one, like, the first option for you to select? Seems like... <laughs> It just wants you to play the entire game all at once as, like, the very first thing you do. Yeah, the the entire 12-minute obstacle course that just seems to <laughs> never end is what you start with. And it really doesn't sell it for for me. Because after, after a while, I'm like, oh, my God, I've been playing for, like, eight minutes, and I'm not even, like, halfway through the obstacle course. You went course. for eight minutes? <laughs> not literally, but it still was, like... It was just ridiculous. Like, did anyone else think that, like, each section of the obstacle course was ridiculously long? So, I, I just threw this game into an emulator because I don't have, we, I know we tried to get a power pad back in the day and we would have, we would have probably, uh, 
that if if COVID wasn't a thing, maybe we would have all been trying to get one just so we could play these games the real way. But we can't get together anymore. We only live virtually. But so I, I threw it into an emulator um, and used my fingers as feet. And uh, maybe it's because like I can I can twist my fingers faster than I can than I can run and jump. But uh, I was able to do it in like four and a half minutes, which I guess is like that's a good workout if it's high intensity, right? Like I don't. I don't work out, but that sounds about right. I mean, in the manual, they only suggest like an hour maximum of this game a day. Oh, so you got to run this game like you got you got to run it like twelve times. You got. I just can't even see anybody doing that. Yeah, it's just too repetitive. I mean, even like you were saying before. I mean, even when you're when you change things up, you're still just stomping on the power pad maybe you're stomping on two different buttons but you're still just that's all you're doing the whole game is stomping on the power pad as fast as you can <laughs> you know <I> mean, <laughs> yeah for sure i mean like that's all that's all any physical activity is just stomping on the ground you know well right i just mean like for what about like like uh, the way it's presented is like oh now you're in the crab walk part of the obstacle now you're in the b- bubble part of the obstacle now you're i mean granted there's there's jumping which is which is one nice little break from fake <laughs> from running all the time <laughs> but but it's just Nothing actually really like changes about a lot of these things when you change from a different point to obstacle course, other than what you're seeing on the screen. It's cute and it's it's funny to see like oh now he's blowing up a bubble he's gonna go through a bubble now he's gotta tread through all this water. Um, but I just wish that there was some way of making those things mean something more for gameplay. Well, the the crab walk and I think the bubble run are the two that change where you need to be on the power pad so that you're kind of are facing it from the side. Uh, you're step, you know, like you're 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 stepping with a longer uh, gait on yeah. each of your each of your feet, and that's a cool idea for something like the crab walk because you it is kind of mimicking the the way that a crab walk looks. But I agree with you, Joe, that if the only thing that's changing is visual aspects of it, like if the log hop and which is running and then jumping over logs. And the water cross, which is actually swimming, if the only thing different about those is what you see on screen, th- then that the sections are almost, it's like weird. There should have been something that you do where like, and this is just me getting crazy for a minute, but if you're going to try to emulate swimming on a power pad, maybe you do something where you have to have your hands on positions one and two and your feet on positions um, nine and ten. So that, you know, you're kind of like in a bear walk. Yeah, and you're you have halfway to, to Twister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you have to like alternate a little bit. So this way it actually like looks somewhat like you're swimming right, as opposed exactly. to just running. I think the swimming element is, is the is the best example of, of what I'm talking about. Because it's like you're in water and now it's like, oh, it, it's harder to get through. But, I mean, I guess if you're using your imagination, you're like, okay, now I'm in the water. But really swimming through the water, you have to do the exact same thing you do to run on land. And you can make the argument, like, well, you, you're going to want to go faster now because the water slows you down. But, like, I mean, I guess this is a not the best argument, but, like, if you can go that fast, maybe you should just be going that... You should just be going as fast as you can the whole time. I mean, <laughs> unless you're trying to save your energy for the bursts you need when you're in the water. But I don't think it's uh, it's that intensive that you need to do that anyways. Yeah, it's really just window dressing because, like, it, if both competitors have the same like preset areas where their speed is going to be cut down from the same motion 
like it's the same motion for running as it is swimming, but if both competitors have like the same spot where that happens, like there's really no difference. Like you, you, you can just keep going at the same pace. It just, your avatar on the screen goes slower. It's really just window dressing for it all. And it, it, I mean, I really don't know how else you could do it, aside from what Mike said, but um, yeah, it kind of sucks. They do make up for it a little bit, though, because if we're talking about like that the only thing that changes is the graphics, the graphics are pretty nice in the game. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a good aesthetic. It's passable. There's something about, like, and I don't know if it's just because the characters are taking up more screen space than our usual characters that we see in our games, but there's something about the sprite work in the characters that gives them a pseudo, like, 16-bit quality to them. Yeah, I think it's one of those games, there's been a, a few games that we've played like this, where it's just something about the, like, it's weird because it's almost something to me about, like, the solidness and simplicity of the colors that make it look a little cleaner than other, because they're tr- they're just keeping it simpler. As far as, maybe not the, the sprites, but, like, the backgrounds. Yeah, like, that part is is nice and clean, and so the characters stick out a little more. And I don't know, there's just something about, like, I know it's not 16-bit. I'm not arguing that. I'm saying, like, there's just something about, like, the roundness of the heads and, like, the the gloss that they put into the hair to, like, add that spherical shape to them that just makes them feel a little more alive than the usual NES games we see where, like, I don't know, just take... Take Samus or, uh, you know, Simon from Castlevania. Like, take those guys, for instance. They don't look like these guys. They don't pop. But I'm not obsessed with Super <laughs> Team games. You know, I don't want you to think, like, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, he loves it. Uh, you know, the characters look cool. That's all I'm saying. They look like humans. They, I'm, I'm invested in the world in which they go to camp. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if I can move on to the uh, the skateboarding section. Please. I think that- uh, it, it's nice that they that they added like a, a different mode of play, and it, like I guess like you know your rhythm is different in this game, and, but it, it seems like it's a little too easy. Like there's no like you'd think that it would be you have to kick, you have to like kick the ground to to get faster or something along those lines, so, so that you're not just like slaloming. Slaloming is how they say it. Uh, between uh, uh, between like different uh, the, what are they call traffic cones and stuff like that. Um, but it makes the another like it, it breaks the rules of of uh extreme sports games again, where when you jump on the skateboard, you're just jumping on the skateboard. Like you're not. <laughs> this isn't how it works. I forgot the other game that did this. Um. We we played it oh, with how, skateboarding. Yeah, the skateboarding game. Yeah, uh, uh, it was oh, in wack, wood, wacky like, water to wood town and water country rage. rage. Oh yeah, yeah the, the surf company. Wacky yeah. water. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the town and country you're, you're surf stomping. Design. Yes, town and country. You're just stomping on the skateboard, and it, it's I, I don't know. I, I don't. I'm just rambling right now. But I I guess what I'm saying is I appreciate the change of pace, but it's it's much less engaging. Uh, even compared to the regular super team games. Yeah. I think it's like, it's just that I think it's a really cool idea to be able, like the switching lanes element of it. Uh, but it's just too, it's too simple. It's just two lanes. You go one direction or you go the other direction. You just dodge between things that admittedly are not ever really that close together anyways. Yeah. So like, it's not that hard. 
Um, just take a step like, to the left, step to the right. Yeah, I, it's a cool idea. Maybe if they were like, I, I can't remember where who, who I was talking about this with, but I always thought that would be a good, or maybe someone mentioned this that it would be a good idea for the Wii Balance Board to have a skateboarding game or like. Uh, well, there was Joe. There oh, maybe was that's what I'm thinking the, of. That. I know that the Tony Hawk that. Shred. Oh. No, yeah, it was like Tony Hawk Shred, and it came with a uh, a skateboard for the Wii, and I think you put the Wii mote in it. Hmm. But you you stand on the skateboard like the like yes the, the the balance board. Yes, it was a skateboard controller. It seems like this is what we all would have wanted for this game to use, but. No, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. It failed on, on the Wii, but it also f- would have failed here, right? Like, it would have just been another bad power pad-like device that people would have had to pay a lot of money up front for to be able to jump on a skateboard in a video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. There's not, and there's not a lot of, uh, like, other, other uses for this, for this, uh, theoretical NES skateboard. And what do you guys think about the fact that you can play with six different players? I think that's the only time that this game would be any interesting is like if a bunch of people got drunk and decided to to play this on a lark uh or you know I guess if you have you know family you can do that too completely sober but um I I I guess that's where I can I can only think I'd find the interest in playing this game in normal times and I'm not doing a podcast about it I almost think that I was to say I almost think there'd be something really fun about watching the six different people play if you couldn't see the TV. <laughs> you just been watching like a party of people just stomp around frantically. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, there's almost like uh, you want to see a, a Twitch uh, stream of somebody just playing the power pad. I think I, rather than watching like the NES long play footage of the games themselves, you'd rather have. Some you know a demonstration of not seeing what's happening on the gameplay, but just watching the person dance on the power pad. <laughs> the six players thing, though, there's definitely a family thing there, right? Like the connection is is that like the whole family can play, you know, because no families go beyond six. But you know, four is even like impossible right now on the NES for the most part. I think uh, maybe a few games supported it, but you need the um, the NES four score adapter. So to have six without any adapter and just a power pad, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that uh, I, I can't tell because I'm I've been looking at screen caps from this game. Maybe I I just didn't play it long enough, uh, or or just uh, I didn't explore every angle. But was tug of war in this game? I do see. Yeah, I see. I see Super Team Games having a tug of war as well. I have no idea where that is, but it does look like it's three v three. So that is would be that cool. in the tournament. I mean, so that would be. I have no idea how, how you would, would that even do work? that though, unless you got everybody scrunched together, all six people on the power pad. I don't know how that would work. <laughs> yeah. And also, like the fact that like it is three v three like that. That would actually be a very. Uh, cool feature here, you know, rather than like six people running in place, all just kind of competing on screen, the three V three element of it would, would enhance it. Yeah. So maybe, maybe this is a, maybe this is a hoax screenshot, but, um, or, or maybe we just, we, we weren't, uh, we weren't good enough gamers to get there. 
But I, I'm interested to see how, how Tug of War would have worked on this. So I have it here in the manual. Tug of War, you split up into two teams. And uh, as soon as you hear the starter gun, you just start running in place. And that determines how you tug on the on the power pad. So again, just another running in place thing. But it doesn't. You don't necessarily need six uh, real people, uh, but you would have. <laughs> no, you would have if you had six. You would have everybody standing on the power pad from positions one through twelve. Everybody gets two, so you have one one person on one and two, one person on three and four, and everybody's scrunched up on this power pad, and you're all just running in place, competing. <laughs> yeah, against I want to see other. that happen. I. Uh, uh, I just love the fact that even like a tug of war that has nothing to do with running, the, the only thing that you could do, of course, is run in place. Uh, yep. I just want to see a series of games that like ask you to do other things that like fly a plane by running <laughs> yeah, in place. Run and, in like, place. Just, like everything, every task you have to do is running in place. Make this sandwich while yeah. running in place. <laughs> yeah, burger time, but it's all running in place. <laughs> you know, what's funny too here is they have the probably the greatest solution to tug-of-war ever, because if you think about it, tug-of-war is one of those games where you don't win until you, like, drag the other team across the line, and that takes, like, a really long time to figure out, like, who's got it on which side. So this one says, after 30 seconds, the position of the ribbon, uh, whoever, like, has more real estate wins. I feel like so there's no, there like, are probably wait. versions of... There are probably versions of real tug-of-war where... I've never played it that way. I think that's But Canadian I like that rules. rule. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I think it's fair. <laughs> I right. almost wish that was just the case for all of these, that you didn't have to finish each thing. It was just 30 seconds and see how far you get. <laughs> really, that's what we need in the track and field community, is instead of the distance, it should just be time. It should be like, this is the five-minute race, and they just find out oh, after like five that. minutes who's the furthest <laughs> along. I like that. Yeah, there's that. no end. It's just whoever got farther away from the start. Yes, exactly. So a marathon should just be like how lo- how far you can go in three hours. Yeah, sure. I think that would be a really interesting idea. It would result in, at the, at the ultra-competitive level, it would result in a lot of people running very slow together for a very long series <laughs> of time and then trying to time like the last 20 seconds of the race to just sprint as far as they could. That's true. Unless you unless you make people take their they start at different places altogether, <laughs> and you just measure the distance. They're not even near each other. They're not even, they can't even, they're not even we're designing. We're designing an <laughs> yeah. entirely new track and field sport, sport right yeah. now. But to be fair, Joe designed a uh, track and field sport that is fair during COVID times. Right. You know? Yeah. True. It's a socially distanced events. Yeah, I like that.
right, so you guys are probably sick and tired of talking about Super Team games, but I need to mention in this, like, sequels and spinoff section, if you will, not necessarily that Super Team games got a direct sequel, but in 2007, Namco Bandai, because they joined together, they announced that the Power Pad would see a reappearance for the Wii, and that this version of the Power Pad, just called the Matt Controller, will also work in conjunction with the Wii Remote. It connects physically to the Wii console uh, using the GameCube controller port, and eventually they released one game called Active Life Outdoor Challenge, which is very much in the spirit of this Super Team Games thing, so that's why I included it in our sequels and spinoff section here. However, I don't know if the right decision here was to like release a whole matte controller uh, similar to the Power Pad again, when you just have the Wii remote and you could just be like, shake that up and down, and that's running. I, I, I guess that it was just um um maybe Nostalgia? they had plans for more. Uh, did they, maybe they had plans to release more stuff? I don't, I don't know. I, I I think it does make it a more immersive experience that it registers your your footfalls. But I I don't see myself playing this. <laughs> is, is it is it just the two inputs on the? Uh, what do you, uh no, it's it's like it looks like a, a power pad all over again. Okay, yeah. Well, I was gonna say. I mean. I, why don't they just use that balance board? I mean, I feel like that thing can do all this stuff, and it was really only, as far as I knew, not supposed to what, stomp on the balance board. I figure that's probably the problem. <laughs> yeah, the Mac controller. Now that I'm looking at it, uh, it's not quite like a power pad. It's more like a DDR pad. Uh, but it's I don't know. It, there's just something about this where it's like it didn't work on the NES, and now you know, two decades later, you're making it on the Wii again. And, like, did it did it really sell well enough back in the NES days to, like, warrant a Wii revival of the Power Pad era? <laughs> yeah, I, it might be a little a little clouded, though, because I think... Yeah, I, I doubt that there was anybody, like, in, in the 80s that was like, wow, the Power Pad is, is, the, is the best part about, <laughs> about the NES. But the weird thing that's kind of clouded about it is that maybe by the time the Wii was out, there were a lot of people that were just like, ah, oh, man, remember the Power Pad? Like, and they just that, like... Those like rose colored glasses about about your know, childhood, and then and that's why there might have been like a little bit of an appetite to be like, oh yeah, another power pad on the Wii. I loved that thing when I was a kid. Now that makes a little bit of sense, and you also have the uh, the DDR like matte aspect of it too. So you're appealing right. to like I guess a lot of different people. I don't know if Namco Bandai ever made a DDR like game, but they should have at least used this thing for more than one game. However, the Wii is riddled with this stuff. I think there's even like accessories to put your Wiimote into things, but the actual thing you put it in doesn't do anything different. Like, you could put it in a golf club, but the golf club doesn't register anything, so you're just swinging the Wiimote. But now it feels like you're using a golf golf stick when you're playing Wii Golf. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta love the golf sticks. We're making a lot of analogies to the Wii in this episode, and I think that makes sense because in, in many ways... The power pad, the zapper, the, you know, the the power gloves, like all of these weird things that Nintendo was trying early on, you don't see them pop up again, really, for the Super Nintendo or the N64 or the GameCube. It's really only, like, once the Wii starts to redefine how video games are played with the motion controls, that all of a sudden they're like, huh, these bad ideas we had in the NES times, well, maybe we can revisit them. And turns out they still weren't ready for the technology. Yeah, but I think that's a great point, though, because, I mean, with an ex- with the exception of a couple of those Zapper games, I mean, 
really nothing of their like attempts at I don't know if you'd call it augmented reality, but whatever their attempts at anything like that have always failed. So finally, they were like, "Oh, we can find some success with with this," you know. And we're gonna see if the game is a success when we do our vote in the essential games list. All right, Sean, it seems like you can't shut up about super team games. You just love talking about super and teams and video games. So when we put the three together, it's a home run, right? Well, I mean, uh, there have been a lot of super games uh, that I enjoy, and super team games is not one of them, <laughs> Zing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I'm going to go I'm gonna go all in on my, uh, my uh, retro... DDR game um, because uh, this isn't doing it for me. Um, the, the, this this game had no chance to be on the essential games list. But this is this is all for this is all for the ritual of it. Um, so that that's that's all I have to say on it. All right, and Joe, your vote. Yeah, I mean, I I almost wanted to say that this has solidified my opinion that that there's not going to be a good game on on this. Uh, on the power pad, but I, but I actually think if I think back, I think that was already pretty strongly my opinion. So this game has certainly done nothing to, uh, to, to change that opinion. Uh, it's just too repetitive. Um, I don't think that we'll ever see. I would love to see a, a good power pad game. I don't think that we will see one until Sean's rhythm game comes out. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anything else really to be said here. Super team games, uh, like gives you its entire load right at the beginning. It's like, here's everything we have to offer. Please enjoy it all at once. And to be honest, I didn't enjoy it. And I wasn't, and, and also like, we didn't talk about this, but if you're just going to have the same music over and over again, while you're doing the same type of inputs over and over again, while you're looking at the same thing over and over again, you're setting yourself up for failure within the first five minutes. Uh, of playing a game. So this makes me think that, like, this is the kind of game that is made, but not tested. It's just like, well, we finished it, time to ship it and see who buys it. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that when this game came out, I'm, I'm sure, what, what month is this? Uh, we are now in November of All right. 88. So some kids got this for Christmas, and I'm sure the family had a grand old time for a couple weeks, but... By January 15th, this game was never touched again. Sean, you know, it's great that you brought up when this game came out because it is November 1st, and that means we have a whole new issue of Nintendo Power to talk about and ask some questions from the 1988 Nintendo Power crew. I do want to note, though, one interesting thing is that Nintendo Power Issue 2 had Castlevania Simon's Quest on the front cover, and we still don't have that game. We don't. I've been waiting for it. Like a whole it. month later. Mm. A whole month later, and you still can't play the game that was on the cover beforehand. I, I mean, I guess yeah, I, a- I remember, like, when I was reading PlayStation Magazine, uh, you know, PSM, not PlayStation Magazine, they, they'd have stuff that was, like, four, five, six months out. But I mean, maybe it was since this is the 80s and game development time is a little quicker, that would be surprising. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Uh, on the surface, that doesn't surprise me just because of the world we live in now. It feels like that's not too abnormal, but but yeah, maybe in the context, it's a little different. Well, they're keeping the like cool cover designs alive in Nintendo Power number three. You'll remember number one is that awesome claymation of Super Mario Brothers 2 
Nintendo Power number two is this amazing, uh, you know, Dracula-esque, like, blood-red cover that just looks awesome. And now we have as our front cover Track and Field 2. Oh, God. <laughs> and... <laughs> And we haven't played this one yet either, so uh, we will see what happens. Wait, is, but is this back on the power pad? It's not, as far as I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, remember, Konami made Track and Field 1, and I actually like that game. Oh, wait, that wasn't a power pad game. Yeah, it okay. was not. Yeah, it was, you just hit A and B on the NES controller instead. <laughs> much, much, much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, there's something cool about the Track and Field 2, like, front cover of the Power, is that it's these... Uh, like futuristic looking shoes that have um, jet engines on the back of them so they're like bursting with fire and they have no human legs attached to them they're just one's floating in the air the other one's like half on the track half off the track and it's just ready to like take off into like the sunset that does sound beautiful <laughs> yeah I mean I, and I know that that's like uh, probably just uh, an artistic thing to show like how cool their game is but i love the idea that like track and field one was just track and field like actual like events and then uh track and field two is like like a cyberpunk future version of track and field <laughs> yeah when it's, like, it's almost like our legs yeah right right we don't need legs anymore the shoes do the running <laughs> in neo tokyo anyway uh we do have Questions from the Nintendo Power uh, number three issue that I'd love for you guys to answer. Remember, these are questions submitted from children in 1988, so be nice to them. They're now full-grown adults. Older than us. And, and yeah, you guys are full-grown adults, too. In fact, these people are older than you. That's what I'm uh, saying. That's what I'm more saying. than likely. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what you said. I'm just not paying attention. <laughs> I kind of yawned through it, though, so maybe it was... Uh... Yeah. Do you yawn on the podcast? I don't know if that's allowed. Well, it's because it's, it's, it takes so much energy for me to put all this passion into it. <laughs> All right, well, here comes uh, Keenan Barra from um, Troy, Michigan, and he writes, In the past, I have found some very interesting tricks, not on a game, but tricks to get your parents into letting you play the NES more often. You might say that you have just started a typing unit, and to get your fingers nimble, you have to push some buttons. Then you point to the NES controller that has buttons and a pad. Or you might just say that playing the NES helps hand-eye coordination. These are just a few of the many tricks that I have used to get to play my NES. <laughs> wow. Um, I like the sentiment there. I think your parents probably uh, might be onto you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do like... I think, okay, the second one is definitely a better excuse than the first. Um, getting your finger... Getting your fingers nimble, I don't. I don't think any parent would would take you seriously for. But if it's the hand eye coordination, you know, I, I feel like I may have used that before. At least maybe maybe not to say like, "Hey, mom, can I play the PlayStation?" Uh, it would be more um, uh, to defend the fact that I play video games in general. You know, totally. No, that, that makes sense. I also love the idea of the kid saying. Uh... Well, it helps your hand-eye coordination, and then 20 minutes later, the parents walk into him just stomping around on the power pad <laughs> as fast as he can. <laughs> That's good. All right, so here's another one. How do you find out all those hot tips for Super Mario Brothers? Do you get them from other members, or do you get them from yourselves? Uh, 
I'm not sure I understand the question. I guess, is he asking, like, do you discover them yourself? Or, like, do you, or just- I think that's what he's saying is, like, <laughs> do you discover them yourself or do you look for them online or, like, online. with friends? Online? Well, you know, he doesn't have online. <laughs> uh, but the question is now in the future. Do you understand how we're doing yeah, this? Yeah, I got you. These okay, kids yeah, are so from 1988. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, for, well, for me personally, a lot of my Mario tips just came from, like, people I knew that were able to do it. But, uh,. I like to not, I like to, as much as I can, if it's a game I'm really into, not look up too many of the tips and see if I can figure them out myself. But then when I do want to, yes, I'll look up a guide. I, I've gotten, I've gotten way too lax with, uh, how okay I am with, uh, going online and, and seeing, like, how do I get the best result of, of this, or of this thing or the other thing? Like, when I played through, uh, uh, Life is Strange One. I played through it pretty pretty normal, and I just uh, made the decisions that I was going to make. But when I played Life is Strange Two, I was just like, "What's what's the best way to to to, to make sure that this happens and not this? And what's the what, what's the worst case scenario if I end up doing that? I, I've gotten pretty bad at that um, of like owning my decisions. But I guess that's different than tips and tricks. But it still has to do with looking up things. Yeah, it's uh, similar. Yeah. I don't know. For me personally, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just taking a second turn instead of giving you a turn, Mike. But uh, for, for me personally, I'm just uh, like, it, it all comes down to whether or not I I think that the the information I need is like something that'll enhance the gameplay or just some stupid thing that I would never figure out on my own or would take me forever. True. Yeah, I think I brought this up on the Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt episode, but like, <laughs> no one remembers exactly how they found out about the warp zone. It's just kind of something that like everyone knows about, and you don't remember the first time you like you like wind up like, oh, I wonder what's behind the warp pipe. You just you just find yourself there, and so I think like a lot of something like Super Mario Brothers is self discovery. But then you have other games uh, on the NES, much more complicated games. Uh, I'm thinking of even more recently, like Dr. Chaos. Not something that I wanted to, like, experience on my own and find out. I wanted the answers a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more quickly, and I needed to know to, for the episode. So I didn't have time to, like, waste myself, like, getting through this game, dying over and over again, repeating my same mistakes until I figured out the tricks I needed I needed them up front. And so for something like that, a harder, um, you know, less uh, future design driven game, something like that, I will go online for. But if it's something like Super Mario Brothers, where the gameplay is easy in the sense of anyone can play it. uh, Yeah, I'd be happy to figure those things out on my own. Yeah. All right. So we have uh, the top 30 for November of 1988 here. That's for every single NES game released so far. Legend of Zelda, still the number one game of all time, according to readers, critics, and they still include people who sell the games at the stores themselves, the retailers. I think that's <laughs> a, it's a dirty trick. They shouldn't include the retailers. <laughs> no. But Nintendo covers themselves here by saying, once again, the all-time favorite, that honor may not last forever, though, as some hot new games are pushing up the list. They're trying to tell you, stop buying Legend of Zelda. <laughs> we got plenty of other stuff here. Number two... Metroid, number three, Metal Gear. Is that surprising? That is surprising, at least the American version. I mean, uh, it, it just, I, I forgot what I, what, what, uh, the gist of my, um, of my criticism was it in the episode, but 
I just remember it being like a shadow of its former self on the MSX. Yeah, I think I I had a similar um, a similar thought with that too. I remember thinking there was so much potential, and it was a really good game with a lot of little flaws. But maybe those flaws weren't as apparent back then. I mean, they also just didn't have anything to compare it to since it wasn't really in the States. All right, and then real quick, the the rest of these, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out at number four, Gauntlet at number five, another very surprising one. Number six, Super Mario Brothers 2. I mean, that's a pretty new hmm. game. Uh, maybe people just aren't playing it yet, but uh, and it'll pick up after the holidays. However, I think that one should be a lot higher right now. Uh, number seven, Base is Loaded. And number eight, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. I guess that's like a, we're excited to see how this game, you know, comes out. <laughs> that was yeah, definitely, I guess the rules are- that was definitely the retailer stuffing the ballot box on that one, getting people to try and like get ready to buy it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it out anywhere in the States right now? In the November, December, it would not have been. It literally just made it to the holiday, like, release in time for wow. Christmas. And, really and it was actually, like, super limited in its, uh, in its availability. Huh. Like, I remember they only, I think they only targeted, like, major cities across America because they weren't able to deliver the cartridges in time. Guess we'll talk about that later. We'll have to because, I mean... You know, Zelda 2 is going to be a big episode coming up. Uh, obviously, Simon's Quest, another big episode coming up. I think next week we have Bionic Commando, which a lot of people like. And we've had some big episodes. We had, you know, just, just recently, 132, Spy vs. Spy, 133, Super Mario Brothers 2, 134, Anticipation. You can't <laughs> miss that episode. Uh, so the games are going to keep coming. And even though we've played now 140 NES games... Uh, an amazing feat for the three of us. But even though we've played 140 of these guys, we've got so many more to come and still so many classics that uh, listeners are dying for us to get through. And you better believe we're going to be there, even if it takes us to 2037. We will be there. That's right. It's, it's actually funny to think about how, what did you say, 140? Uh, sounds like a lot. But then when you think, what are they, like, like 750 games on the NES? Yeah, yeah uh, 715 total, I believe, is what we'll be getting through, plus the specials. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then when the Game Boy and the Super Nintendo get released, who knows what will happen. Yeah, we're in it for show. the long haul. You know? Uh, definitely won't be playing every Game Boy game, though. That would drive us insane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sean, would, Sean would probably uh, not... Uh, I, don't, I don't know why I'm picking on you. I'm going to stop right there. You know what? You probably would love it. No, I quit. Those I quit right now. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we'll quit ahead of time. Anyway, we're going to quit the episode, but we're not going to quit on you. uh, 140 games done so far, another 600 and something to go. You better believe we're going to have a great time. Join us next week for Bionic Commando, the week after that for Blades of Steel, the weekend after that for Bump and Jump, Castlevania 2, Indiana Jones, Othello, Paperboy, Platoon, you name it, we got them. Join us on the Twitter at NostalgiaCast. I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me at Esposito Film on Twitter, and I'll talk to you soon. Go Bills.